feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. May God add a blessing to his holy word. Amen. Amen. Before I pray, I just wanted to say it's a pleasure to be here. Those of you, uh, last time I was here, I think it was in October, so it's been a while. So those of you who have not met me, if you're new here, I'm, uh, my name is Cornelius Johnson. I'm a uh, chaplain in the United States Navy, currently stationed out in Coronado. So I'm extended for two and a half more years, and then I will probably retire, God willing, during that time. So it's, um, uh, so it's always good to be here. I'd like to thank uh, Pastor Danny for the opportunity. Uh, he was texting me yesterday as he's suffering there in uh, Holland in, in a conference. So, <laughs> but uh, he's, uh, he's doing great. I'm, I'm glad I could help to fill in. Um, so with that being said, now let's turn our attention to the word of God. Let's pray for God's blessings. Lord, we, we thank you for uh, the word read. And now we pray that you would bless the word that's preached. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, honor your word. We pray that you would break up our hearts and so that, um, that the word might be planted in us deeply. Uh, we pray as Elder Danny prayed this morning that we would sit at Mary's feet and just, um, just digest all the words that you speak to us. And so, Lord, we pray now that the words will be found on good ground, that you would plow up our hearts and our minds and our souls, that you remove all those distractions which constantly dog us, and we might focus and center on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So one note before I begin, uh, I sent this information to Danny, and I misspelled uh, Barabbas, so I apologize about that. I'll blame it on my spell check, but uh, I should have checked that, so you'll see it over and over again. It should be two Bs. One hour and two Bs instead of uh, two Bs and one hour. So anyway, forgive me for that. I saw that last night. <clears throat> well, one, one of the things that um, we find to be a travesty of justice is when guilty people go free and innocent people are uh, convicted. I saw a few weeks ago that a person who did like 20 years in jail 
was exonerated and was set free. And that really uh, bugs us, I guess. It really uh, bothers us when we see justice that's not uh, taking place and we see justice that is not right. When things are not done, when rich people or people who have money are able to buy their freedom and other people who uh, cannot do that. And so we see how um, that the, the miscarriage of justice, we see how awful that is and it bothers us when we see that the sense of justice in us, it bothers us when we see that people who, are fr who should be convicted are not and people who are not convicted are convicted and sent to jail. We see that in our text uh, today, this morning. Um, we see today that uh, the trial of Jesus, uh, Jesus was uh, in the courtroom, and this was the second phase of his trial. The first um, phase was the religious trial, where the Jewish people had already condemned him and convicted him, but they could not crucify him until... Uh, he stand for the civil trial, and that was a trial with the Romans, and that was the second phase, and this is where we are in our text today. Pilate, who was the governor of Judea, uh, the Jews were at that time um, oppressed by the Romans. They were um, subject to the Romans, and obviously something like this, they had to get the approval of the Romans. And so Jesus is brought before Pilate, and as Pilate is examining Jesus, as the Jews were um, yelling out and, and condemning and accusing Jesus of so many things. But as Pilate uh, talked to him and as Pilate examined the situation, he immediately saw that, there, that really there was no fault that Jesus had, that, that there was nothing that he could find that caused Jesus to be worthy of being crucified. And so he has um, a conversation with the crowd as the crowd is yelling out and, and Pilate is, is um, examining uh, Jesus. And as he talks to him, uh, first of all, Jesus was very silent during the time. He said very little. Uh, Pilate sent him to Herod and then back. And as he was examining him, he quickly saw that there was really nothing that was worthy of death. And so the Romans uh, had a custom, and the custom is, as we see there in verse 15, that one of the prisoners is released. The governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. Now, why did they do this? Because, well, the, uh, obviously it was a political um, favor that the Romans were extending to the Jewish people. Uh, they realized how the Jewish people resented the Romans uh, ruling over them, uh, paying taxes to them. And so this is their way of throwing the Jewish people a bone so that they might um, um, have some say in releasing one of uh, a prisoner. But in, um, and so Pilate in this situation, again, after he had conversations with them and as he was talking to the crowd and the multitudes, and the multitude continued to insist that Jesus be crucified. And it says that Pilate knew that they were doing this out of envy. There was nothing that uh, Pilate could find that Jesus was worthy to die or worthy 
to be crucified. He understood that. So he sought to get Jesus off. And then, so he came up with this uh, solution after um, uh, they, uh, the Jews were insistent that Pilate release um, uh, Barabbas uh, or Jesus. That was Pilate's, um, that, that was his, because Jesus, because they would not release Jesus, he thought, this is what I will do. I will send Pilate, I will send Barabbas out there. Barabbas, who was a murderer, uh, an insurrectionist, uh, he was uh, guilty of treason. He was a notoriously wicked man, as it says there in the scriptures. He was notoriously wicked. And so Pilate thought, surely, surely the Jews will pick Jesus over Barabbas. Because after all, I realize that they don't like Jesus and they want him crucified, but they surely cannot pick a murderer and someone who is guilty of treason over Jesus. And so this was his way, his opportunity, and his means to get Jesus free. He didn't want to tell them what to do, but he decided that he would put the worst criminal up against Jesus. Therefore, Jesus would be set free. But to his amazement and to his astonishment, the people said to uh, crucify Jesus and release Barabbas. And so that leads to my first point this morning, the response of the crowd, that they chose to have Barabbas released. Surely that was stunning to Pilate. It was stunning in that regard that they would want a murderer, a person guilty of treason, a notoriously wicked person to be released. Well, let's examine that point for a minute. Well, the first thing we see here, as it says there in um, verse 20, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. In other words, the leaders persuaded, incited, um, encouraged, exhorted the crowds, the masses of people to choose Barabbas. These leaders who were supposed to be ruling justly, supposed to be ruling righteously, supposed to be ruling the way that Jesus, I mean, the way that uh, God appointed them to rule. Instead, out of envy, out of hatred, they chose to ignore the law. They chose to ignore righteousness, and they chose to incite the people to ask that Barabbas be released. Now, one of the, John Calvin says one of the great judgments that God has on the people is when we have corrupt leaders. When we have leaders who do not rule according to righteousness. In other words, Calvin is saying, and the word of God basically is saying that we've earned the leaders that we have. The rulers that we have, the politicians that we have today, it is our fault and is a judgment on us because of our sins. When you look at First and Second Kings and Chronicles, when you look at the Old Testament, 
the kings that ruled, the people normally followed. If the kings were wicked, the people were wicked. Now, of course, there's some exceptions, obviously. If the people, if the kings were righteous, at least the people, at least externally, followed the leaders. In other words, the leaders have great impact on the people. We elect our leaders and we often, we follow our leaders. We follow what they say and what they do. And oftentimes we put too much confidence in our leaders. We put too much confidence that our leaders, that our government can protect us, that they can provide for us, that they can care for us. As we run, come into an election season, both sides are saying that this is a do or die election. That whoever wins, the other side is going to be doom and gloom. Why is that? Perhaps because we put too much confidence in our leaders and in the people that we follow. And this is what took place here, is that the chief priests and elders persuaded the people to choose Barabbas. And this is what our leaders do in our country, in our world. They understand that people normally will follow what they say or what they do, and so on. I can think of uh, gay marriage back in, you know, I'm over 50. You know, it, it, it would seem impossible when I was a kid or a teenager or as a young man that gay marriage would ever be lawful. But, as, um, but if you look back in the 80s and 90s where you would watch shows and TV shows, they always had a gay couple on there. Or um, in, in sports, they would ask one of the athletes, what do you think of gay marriage? And as soon as someone said they disagree with it, it would be put out there that this person is against gay marriage. And they would immediately begin to be bashed and harassed and so on. The plan was to slowly but surely uh, get people comfortable with it so that people would follow and that people would believe. And this stuff works. That's why you have commercials. That's why you have these things. If you put it out there long enough and you normalize it so that now people will say, well, of course, uh, gay marriage is right. Of course it is. Why? Because there's been such a great campaign to do that. Why? Because the leaders and the rulers incite people to believe these things. Well, secondly, not only do we see that the leaders are, uh, can be corrupt, but secondly, notice that the notice the the fickleness of the people. The people follow blindly without any consideration. The leaders say, a crucified Jesus, and they immediately say, crucified Jesus. The crowd does. The crowd is incited without thinking, without rationalizing, without reasoning. How many people do that with their spiritual lives? Again, we, we just take what People say for granted, and we really don't think about it. Whatever our rulers say, whatever our leaders say, even if it's against Christianity, we believe it. We don't consider, we don't think, we don't analyze what this means and what it does not mean. You know, remember as a, I remember asking my dad at times, I wanted to go to a party at one of my friend's house, and he would say, no, you can't go. And my answer was what, young people? Everybody else is going to be there. Why can't I go? All the cool people are going to be there. I should be allowed to go there as well. Of course, my dad would say, well, if everybody was going to jump off a bridge, would you jump off as well? But isn't that something to that? 
Don't we think that? Well, the masses of people believe, so it must be right. Everyone else believes, the whole country, the whole world, everybody else follows, so why should I be different? And this is what is going on here. This crowd, everyone is, is just in an uproar saying, crucify Jesus. And then notice that the people, they, 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 they're fickle. They're fickle because a week before, during the triumphal entry, they were worshiping Jesus. Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord. They were bowing the knee. They were worshiping. And now a week later, a few days later, what are they saying? Crucify him. Crucify him. Where's the loyalty? You see the fickleness of people. You see how quickly people turn from following God. And, you know, it just, it just shows that when Jesus' ministry was, was taking place for the three years, you see great crowds were around him. A lot of people just loved the excitement. A lot of people just loved what was taking place. We love supernatural things. We love mysterious things. It fascinates us. So many people were just there just to watch so they could see that Jesus opened the eyes of a blind person made a lame person walk, made a, um, healed someone that was demon-possessed. They just loved to be out there. They loved to see it. They loved to watch it. They loved to examine it. It's an amazing thing. We love to see things that are unusual, supernatural. Imagine if that was today. We'd all have our phone cameras, like 100 million views on Facebook. Look at Jesus he healed this lame person. This person is walking now. It will be shared all over. Things will be examined. People will be talked about. What about this Jesus and who is he? Unsolved mystery. What type of person is he? Is he an AI person? Is he an alien? Is he supernatural? We would have, we love to talk about things like that. But to follow Jesus, to serve him, that's a different story. When Jesus did the multi, uh, multiplied the loaves in John chapter 6, people were so excited. They said, we have a king now. We are going to be eating fish and, and good bread for, for many years. Red lobster is going to be out of business because Jesus is going to take care of us and make sure that we eat good food and good fish. But when they found out that Jesus, that was not his mission, to come and feed us and to to give us political freedom. It says at the end of John 6 that many people turned and stopped following Jesus because they could not get what they wanted from him because Jesus came to offer faith and repentance. And so many people like to see these things. Maybe they pray to Jesus when they need to, but they're fickle. They quickly turned against him. Why? Because the masses turned against him. You think about it. Why should I follow Jesus? Look at him there. He's going to go on. He's going to crucify. If, if he's who he says he is, he should be able to escape. He should be able to freeze himself, do whatever. But the masses of people are saying, crucify him. He's being beat and scourged and all these things. We can't follow this Jesus. He's not who he said he was. And so they quickly turned from following him. They love the miracles. They love what he does, but they don't want to follow. And then that last point, and my first point, this is that we choose Barabbas by nature. 
Because Barabbas represents the world in the flesh. We will all choose Barabbas, just like this world did. A murderer, a notoriously wicked person. We want nothing to do with him, but we'll choose Barabbas over Jesus. What does that say? That is who we are by nature. Because Barabbas represents the world, represents the flesh, represents the devil. We will, we will choose that over Jesus every day unless he saves us. I mean, people I have in my office looking for help, looking for some relief, have problems and challenges and difficulties. And I notice that as I share Christ or the gospel, they're not really that interested. They just want to find a better Barabbas. They want Barabbas to be better. What about Christ? I'm not interested in Christ. I want Barabbas to treat me better. I want Barabbas to heal me. I want Barabbas to help me. I want Barabbas to, to uh, get it. I want Barabbas to make me feel better. And if that Barabbas doesn't work, I'll go to another Barabbas. And maybe he will help. Or I'll go to another job, or another world. Anything but Christ. No matter how wicked, no matter how bad it is, he's better than Jesus. Because we don't want Christ. That's what the people are saying. They saw the miracles, they saw the healing. What did they say? Crucify him. Well, that's my first point. The response of the crowd. What about the response of Pilate? Think of Pilate for a second. The governor of Judea. Pilate was a cruel man, a wicked man. Pilate was one who, it says in Luke chapter 13, that he used Galileans, some Jewish people, to sacrifice them so he could worship his gods. That's how cruel he was. The people didn't like him, and he didn't like the people. Uh, according to church tradition that he hated going to Jerusalem. He would go up doing Passover, but he did not like that region and they didn't like him because he was oppressive and he was hard on them. But Pilate here is, has a predicament because even here he understands that Jesus is innocent of these charges. But Pilate's wife as it says there, says, um, says there in, uh, oh man, I lost it there. Well, anyway, it's somewhere in there. <laughs> verse 19. Oh yeah, verse 19 says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Now, Church tradition says her name is Claudia Procula. Uh, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, she is canonized as a saint um, because of what she did and what she told uh, Pilate to do. <clears throat> so Pilate had his wife and he had his own conscience that were telling him that Jesus should be released. And as he sought to get Jesus off, he could not because the people were more and more angry. There was going to be a revolt. They were threatening him. They say he's not a friend of Caesar. They were doing all these things. And so Pilate, at the end, symbolically washes his hands and says he is innocent 
of these people's, of, of, of this man's blood. And yet, he is not because he was the judge. And I believe Jesus says in John, uh, at the end of John to Pilate, that he who delivered you has the greater sin. And yet, Pilate was also guilty as well because that was his job as a governor and a ruler to make sure that justice takes place. But his political ambition took over. His personal ambition took over because perhaps he was thinking they didn't want an uprising. He's seeking to advance his career. And that was more important than releasing Jesus. That was more important than freeing Jesus. Leaders often rule for personal ambition and for politics and not for what's right. When we look in our own country and we see our senators, many of them are career politicians who, especially, who have been there for many years, 30 and 40 years, where they are elected, as soon as they're elected, they're thinking about being re-elected. And they answer to their donors and their supporters and those who care for them. And they don't rule on behalf of the people often. Instead, they rule for personal ambition for so that they might keep their job. Not what's right, but what's going to be best politically. That's what we see over and over again. Even here in California, as you see the constant advertisements about uh, what's going to take place in the Senate and so on, the people running for office in California. And they all say that they can fix the problems. They can fix the immigration problem. They can fix the homeless problem and so on. But deep down, they're all saying the same thing, but they all are bought in that sense because they all have donors and they rule for personal ambition instead of what's right for the people. Not only politicians do it, but we do it as well. You think about our jobs. We think about where we live and where we work. How often are we confronted with the challenge of living, doing what Jesus wants us to do? And yet, our boss asks us to cut corners, to be dishonest. Or we engage in uh, politics in the office, cutthroat politics, seeking to advance, seeking to uh, trample upon others instead of living to the glory of God. That was Pilate's response, and that's often our response as well. That we often sacrifice what we know, especially in our day, we are ashamed of Christ. We're ashamed to say that we're Christian. We try to hide it. We try to not bring it up. We're embarrassed by it. It has to be dragged out of us. But the Bible says these things ought not to be so. And we see Pilate's response, so therefore he washes his hands, saying that he is innocent. But he's not, because he chose to make a decision based on his own personal and political beliefs. And then my last point here is God's response. God's response. So what do we see here? We see a lot of injustice going on. We see how Jesus was, was falsely accused. We see Jesus was, was, should not have been condemned. But yet we see here God's plan. 
the sovereignty of God versus the responsibility of man. In other words, we see it in this account here. When I say the sovereignty of God is that God is in control of every aspect of our lives. But yet, each of these people were responsible. And and, and Acts chapter 2, Peter says, you with wicked hands killed the Lord Jesus. You destroyed him. But it was the predetermined counsel of God that ordained it all. In other words, these actions were free. What, what the people did by saying crucify him, what Pilate did, what Judas did, all of these things are free. These people did it. They were not um, compelled to do it. They were not forced to do it. They did it out of their own heart, out of their own mind, out of their own will. And yet God was sovereignly over the whole situation. The sovereignty of God versus the responsibility of man. How do we explain that? We can't. We cannot explain it. Charles Spurgeon says that the sovereignty of God and responsibility of man go like two parallel lines in the Bible. They're both there. And they're both important. We must not be a hyper-Calvinist and say that basically God doesn't use our actions or our work or use it as an excuse not to do what God has called us to do. Some people will say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. If God's going to save me, he's going to save me because it's in his uh, sovereign will to do it or not. And if he wants to be saved, he'll be saved. Friends, if you think like that, you're going to go to hell. You're going to go to hell. Because God has given you an obligation and a duty of what you need to do. Repent and believe. That's what he tells you to do. In Luke, the question was asked to Jesus, are there few that be saved? Jesus didn't even answer the question. He says, this is what you need to do. Strive to enter and through the straight gate. In other words, he says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you got to use all your energy and effort. And you got to fight your way into the kingdom of God. You got to resist the devil, resist the flesh. You're going to have to battle your way into the kingdom of God. It's all by grace, but you're going to have to do that. That is our responsibility. Martin Luther said this. He says, how do we know we're elect? Do we believe the gospel? Do we believe the gospel? Certain things are God's business. God gives us all that we need to do. How about practically, if you think about it? Suppose you were looking for a job, and you say, well, God is sovereign. If he wants me to get a job, he'll, 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 I will get that job. You're probably going to starve to death, right? Because what does God use? He ordains the means as well as the end. He's going to use you getting, going back to school, getting your training, getting your certifications, working hard, maybe using contacts, getting interviews, working, building your resume. And then once you get the job, will you say, thank you, God. Thank you, because you provide that job for us. Otherwise, we're mocking God. And so realize in this whole situation here that all of these, this is real. That these men were guilty, and yet God was sovereign. Secondly, 
The second point in God's response is this, that your decision affects the next generation. Your decisions today regarding the gospel affect your kids. Look what it says there in verse 25. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Wow. His blood be on us and our children. If you look at church tradition and you look about 40 years later in 70 A.D. where the Romans destroyed the Jewish nation. And Josephus reports that there was on average about 500 crucifixions a day. And who suffered? The children. The children that grew up to be older suffered. They were starving because of famine. They were treated ruthlessly. They were treated in a dreadful manner. It was awful, the pain and suffering that they did. God says, I'll be a God to you and your children. Realize that, that the things you do, the decisions you make. I had a, a young man in my office the other day, and I did everything I could. He wanted to leave his wife because he has another woman that he is, uh, that he, he wants to be with. And I begged him to stay. I begged him. I said, do not do that. I said, you got your kids. You got all these things. You're going to regret it. And his wife uh, texted me the other day, said that he decided to leave. Our decisions affect the next generation. And then we also see this in this point three. I'm almost done here. As we see the gospel just laced in this. Before we get into how unjustly Jesus is treated, how badly what the Jews did, what Roman did, what, what Pontius Pilate did, this is the gospel. Barabbas was set free and Christ was the one that suffered. We are all Barabbases. And we all should have been where Christ was. But Christ paid the price for us. He was our scapegoat. It says in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. Jesus took our place and he is the one that liberates us and frees us. He took all of our sins upon him and he died. He is the scapegoat. He is the lamb that was slain for us so that we might be free. He died so that we might have eternal life. All of our sins were heaped upon him. Everything that we've done, all the commandments, all the things that we've done. Jesus saved some of the worst of sinners. Paul says Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. This week, my uh, chaplain assistant came in the office. He was so excited and so happy. And he told the story that he owed $30,000 of student loans. Now, whatever you think of the politics of this, just set that aside for a second, all right? But he said, I went and I checked my account, and it said the account, it said zero on it. He said, that's got to be a mistake. It has to be an error. He did more investigation and found out he saw a letter that his student loan had been forgiven because of Biden's policy. He was so excited. $30,000 of student loan money, gone, just like that. Well, that's a poor illustration 
But what Christ did on the cross for us, when we check our record, when we check what it is, is zero, the balance is zero. All of those sins have been taken away. As far as the east is from the west, so our sins have been forgiven. God has forgiven us that great debt if we trust him and believe in him. That is the gospel. Our account, our balance is zero because of what Christ has done. He died so that we might be free. He was made sin for us that he who knew no sin would be made the righteousness of God. Here God is just in punishing Christ for our sins and yet the justifier because he justifies sinners because of what Christ did. That should cause us to rejoice and to be excited. So I'll close with this question. Pilate asked in verse 22, what then should I do with Jesus who is called Christ? That's the question that God is asking you. What are you going to do with Christ? That's the question that's going to affect your eternal destiny. Jesus or Barabbas? Which one? What are you going to do with Christ? Are you going to be like the crowd in the world? Crucify him? Push him to the side? Or are you going to follow him and believe him and make him Lord? Because that question that you're asking now, he's going to ask that question on the last day. What shall I do with you? And that question will be based upon what we did with him in this world. Let us choose wisely. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this gospel message. We thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross for us. That we as Barabbases, who deserve to be condemned, were set free because of what you did on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that we would ponder these things and ensure that we are following you. That we are not choosing Barabbas, but we are choosing you. Enable us and help us to do this. In Christ's name, amen. In response to a sermon, we will sing Psalm 116, 116C, What Shall I Render to the Lord? And let us stand as we sing that.